Welcome to Martial Wisdom. Here you can listen to conversations on all kinds of topics related to martial arts. Today's topic is adopting self-defense training into Aikido practice. Joining me in this discussion is Remy Helgeson. Before we start, please consider supporting the show. You can subscribe to the Spirit Aikido online program, which currently contains more than 180 videos. Another option is to contribute any amount you like through the PayPal tip jar. Even small contributions are greatly appreciated. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now, on with the discussion. All right, I'm welcoming Remy Helgeson, if I hope I pronounced that correctly, to, uh, to the podcast here. We're going to have a great conversation today. Uh, we're going to talk about adopting self-defense into your martial art training, into your Aikido training. So uh, welcome, Remy, to the show, and maybe you could give our listeners a little bit of background. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, I'm an Aikido instructor. I have a little bit of background in private security, a little bit in the military, um, and basically working as in close protection and as a bouncer. And um, yeah, working to get Aikido out there and make people know that it's, uh, you know, it's a, you know, it's a good martial art to train and uh, just want to spread the word, word about that. Absolutely. And as we get into our topic, I do want to talk about kind of the practical side of, you know, what do you do when you're on the mat in terms of how do you do this for training? But I think a, a good way to set this up would be why would you do it or why would you want to do it or what are the, what is the, the benefit of this? And I think that Aikido and the control that it brings over Uke is of such a great fit for civilian, uh, a civilian environment type uh, violence, which is not necessarily, you know, two soldiers on a battlefield trying to kill each other, but the types of violence that a normal person might get into, like a heated argument that turns into physical, you're dealing with somebody who's irrational and belligerent, maybe because they're drunk, maybe because they're just in, enraged and angry. And they think that because they're in a civilized environment that nobody's going to stop them. So they kind of just carry on and, and get nuts. And I think you know, this is something that every bouncer has dealt with. Anybody that's done security for any amount of time, even the short time that I did it, I've seen a number of instances where a normal person, you know, who, who's just going on about their business is suddenly faced with somebody who's getting pushy. You know, it, it's not a, a sport fight, but it's they have to deal with somebody who's who's getting going from just being verbally belligerent into being physically belligerent. Um, it's something that people could, will have to deal with. What are your thoughts? Uh, well, the, the picture froze for a moment, so I didn't hear the last yeah, yeah. like five yeah, seconds, so, but, um, sure. yeah, I mean, there's, there's different like, uh, phases of a conflict and it's excellent for civilians or whatever line of work you do to train Aikido. And I mean, you don't always want to, uh, like, um, strike people. Like you don't necessarily want to. If you're in the line, you know, you're going to have a kebab at the end of the night and uh, mm -hmm. someone's drunk and they're starting to push you from behind or getting, you know, rude. Um, you don't necessarily just want to give that guy a haymaker and hurt the guy or, uh, you know, um, you know, defend yourself like that or, you know, fight like that. Maybe it's better to have options. And I think Aikido gives you a lot of options. It gives you the options. You can always throw a punch. You know, uh, and anyone can throw a punch. Well, you can always throw a punch or strike, but maybe, um, you know, 
it's a better way to resolve it. And I think Aikido gives you the chance to resolve it and it gives you many options. So maybe you want to like, maybe you want to like give this guy a verbal uh, statement first that, you know, you're not having it. You know, you want your kebab, so you still want to stand in the line. You don't want to just, just leave because there's a rude guy there. So maybe you tell him like, you know, uh, excuse me, man, can you uh, stop pushing me? Uh, I really like to have my kebab now. And if he doesn't stop, maybe you give him a little push. And then if he comes to grab you or he comes to whatever he comes to do, maybe you can, uh, you know, execute your enemy, get from behind. From there, you can control him from the back and maybe do an ikkyo and pin him to the ground. And uh, if you can do that and you can hold him, maybe he re realizes uh regulate you know put some more pain to the guy you know mm -hmm. put some more force into the technique so it, it basically it gives you options is what i'm saying though yeah yeah you know what one thing i've found is that controlling the skeleton and controlling the body is far more reliable than than striking in general and some of the things that i've seen with real striking is even if somebody does land a solid punch and basically knock somebody silly his hand often swells up like a grapefruit i mean it there's damage on both sides of that. In addition, I found with people, and I've had students of mine that I've sparred with that are heavy set, like they're like a fire plug, a lot of muscle. If you try to get through that with a punch, you can have a real tough time. Um, it's it's not like the movies about trying to lay somebody out with by punching them, uh, where you just hit them once and they knock down and, and everything is over. Um, it can go that way. And if you surprise somebody and get them on the button, yeah, you can you can kind of knock them to the knock them into drunk i think they call it um where they just you know they may they're still conscious but they they're not really capable of doing anything but again what happens to your hand you know is there do you wind up getting blood do you wind up getting you know the types of things that you really don't want to have at the end of the whole exchange whereas controlling the body to me that's where the real professionals do their work and i've met security professionals in fact i had i've uh, mentored under one and he never studied aikido at all and the more he taught me even though he came from a pugilism boxing muay thai background he he had to shift all of his skills in when he was in law enforcement he shifted him into body control and i said you're you're doing aikido right now everything you're showing is about getting to a good position taking somebody's posture to slow them down and, and limit their movement and you control them like you want to get into a control position you don't just beat beat the hell out of them um and he kind of yeah, chuckled at that because you know he's like yeah you're right i've never studied aikido at all but all the principles were there you know you got to protect yourself from getting hit control the person get them to a point where they can't do any harm to, to themselves or anybody else and you know that that's when your apprehension would would come in and i've seen the same thing with security uh, bouncers you know all of that you know you don't you want to protect the club you want to protect the customers you want to protect the business and you don't want lawsuits criminal charges paying hospital bills you don't want any part of any of that stuff and i think that's a normal the average person would be kind of in the same category now it's not necessarily protecting a club but they want to protect their hands they want to protect their home they want to protect their family they don't want to pay hospital bills they don't want lawsuits they don't want criminal charges i think there's a great deal of parallel there too to the pros. And uh, that's why I like looking to professionals for how they do their craft. And uh, that's why I think that that Aikido has got a lot of that in it. 
and it's one of the few arts that that does um not the only one in fact i know uh, uh i work with with somebody who comes from a wrestling background and he adapted his wrestling into apprehension for his law enforcement background and he says yeah i had to make quite a few changes because some of the sports stuff doesn't fit very well but taking control of somebody he's like i've never had anybody get away from me and i've never been injured and on top of that in more than 10 years he's never had a use of force complaint filed against him so you know he'd never had to to you know bounce anybody's head off of any concrete to get them you know to to in order to control them which to me that's a real professional exactly and i mean you in today's modern day age as well like there's cameras everywhere there's witnesses they'll pull out the camera and mm -hmm. people you know most likely people tend to not see the first half of a conflict they just see the response so right. if you're just wailing on someone and that's how your mentality and your training is mm -hmm. Uh, getting civil justice problems, you know, so um, really what you're explaining is just very high level of of, um, uh, of self defense, which is controlling someone having the ability to, uh, to, uh, you know, put on pressure and, and pain if, if needed, but mm -hmm. <clears throat> you really want to control a person uh, in a humane, humane way, um, and not pummel his face or, you know, end up in jail yourself. Mm -hmm. You know yeah this uh just this last week i remember uh we had somebody post up a question or, or bring up a topic and, and actually i thought this was a very good topic about eye jabs and you know talking about how quickly they can end a fight which is absolutely true and this is one of the reasons in almost every sport that they're illegal because nobody wants to watch a fight that lasts a second and a half that's not entertaining nobody's going to pay to see that um in addition to the fact that it can cause some pretty heavy injury but uh I think in terms of high level self defense, there's a time and a place for a tool like that same thing with punching somebody in the throat. But there's that's so little it's almost like pulling out a knife and stabbing somebody like that's not quite lethal but almost well, stabbing is lethal but I mean jabbing somebody in the eye is not really a lethal tool. But it's one of those you just can't use that all the time it's really not appropriate for almost for a vast majority of self defense type applications. Now, there are some instances where it would be, but you know, that comes down to the judgment of the person that's that's using it. Like are you outnumbered, you know, do you have weapons that have been pulled against you? You know, things like that, but uh, Aikido really does offer that great variable scale from very low level you want to control somebody. They're yeah, a bit of a physical threat, but it's not deadly. You know, it's not a lethal force type thing all the way up to you need to really stop somebody who's you know who's gone gone nuts and they're not just not buying um a little bit of sting here and there like you you slap them or punch them or something that sometimes can alert or wake somebody back up that where they're going is a bad place but you know real violence is such a wide spectrum from low level to high level to from social violence into you know complete um rage and and that's what i think what makes it kind of hard to to train whereas a sport fighter has got a known quantity of what he's going to be facing for example not to diminish their their effort because it's the sport fighters train very seriously um but it's nice to know i know my opponent in advance i know when the fight's going to happen i can get prepared for it 
Um, I know I'm going to be in my weight class. I know I'm going to be fighting in my skill class. Uh, I know it's only going to be one person. I know if I get overwhelmed that everything is going to stop. Like these are other big differences. And I think real world violence can be more dangerous because you have no idea when, where, how, who, or what's going to happen. Exactly. So, yeah. I think with the right, in the right dojo, uh, with the right instructors, like mm -hmm. you get a lot of that, that uh, awareness training uh, that I, I believe you get a little bit more of that in Aikido than other martial arts because it tends to focus a lot on the self, uh, mm -hmm. turning the focus uh, inwards rather than, uh, you know, um, mm -hmm. you know, so um, yeah, that awareness is gold because you never know like you can't foresee everything out there, but you can do, you can be, you can be alert, you can be awake. And um, if you're really, really good at self-defense, maybe you don't end up in a lot of situations unless you work in certain areas where it's just demographically or ge geographically uh, very likely you're going to end up in trouble. But, um, you know, so multiple attacks. Attackers got to get up again and um, there's weapons, you know, there's like you're saying, it's like an unset uh, bound of rules. There, there is no rules, you know, there's mm -hmm. it's, it's unset and like like eye jabs. It's like if it's a if it's a really intense situation or if it's a fight already, I tend to feel like the eye, eye jabs are a little bit hard to uh, to get into. Mm -hmm. um, I've ended up on the ground. I remember once I was on the ground with this guy and he was pretty solid. And I was like, I was jabbing his eyes. Like he was trying to do the same with me and I was jabbing him and it didn't really go anywhere. And it was really just a, a dog fight. Uh, I managed to get him on his, on his um, stomach and, and lock his arm and just bend, you know, his wrist and put on the cuffs. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so I think like eye jabs, you know, it's, it's a time and a space for every technique. And the more aware you are of how to use those techniques in different situations and depending on your training, it can become extremely efficient. Like uh, some people probably ended a fight uh, with one strike to the eyes or to the throat. Sure. I've done Noto Ski a few times. Uh, it's been pretty effective, like before it's about to jump off and, you know, the guy's about to swing or whatever. And then you hit him with the Noto Ski. And if you do it correctly, the guy falls and uh, you run over and maybe you grab him and shake him a little bit and like, you know, stop the BS. That could be it. And, you know, it's it's a time and a space for everything, like for every situation. But uh, you have to train it. You have to be aware of how to use it, use it under stress. How well are you at, uh, you know, using techniques under stress? And like if it's. If it's a dogfight or if it's an intense situation, like I said, like it becomes a little bit of a tunnel vision. The more trained you are, you, you tend to try to. Open that tunnel. There's no training to become like anyone can get hit with just a, get blindsided or anything mm -hmm. like you have to be humble enough to understand that. Uh, we're not robots like anyone can end up in a bad situation. So um, but how well prepared are you for those bad situations? You know, absolutely. And in, in fact, I, and I've seen this not only in the Aikido world, but in a lot of martial arts, a lot of practitioners they are always chasing the perfect technique. Like what's the best technique? 
what are the crappy ones that I, I want to ignore. The right technique is the one that's done at the right time. You take the right technique and do it at the wrong time, that's, it's going to be garbage. And it's not the technique itself, but the wisdom and the judgment to know when to use it, how to use it, and that you've trained to do it well. And I guess that's as we get into now the subject of, you know, taking your training onto the mat, you just cannot create every scenario of how violence might go down in order to get that thoroughly realistic simulation of, of how it's going to work. But a good craftsman knows his tools. He knows them really well. And then when he goes to do his project, that's how he applies those different things. And I, that's how I view good martial arts training to get hopefully as close as you can by, by practicing your techniques under higher and higher levels of stress and resistance. Um, just so that you know how they operate. Yes, you want to study the principles at a slow speed to really break down your technical uh, uh, precision, because you don't want to be sloppy when you when you go fast. If you train a lot at speed, chances are you're training to be sloppy. Um, so there's a place all along from from slow and diligent, highly technical, to increasing into the into the um, the more variables, the more intensity. What I've found when I've done this with partners is we'll get to the point where they'll they'll increase their intensity and their variables of what they're, how they adjust their attacks and, and whatnot. And you hit a kind of a high limit of, okay, just says, okay, this is getting as hard as I want to submit my body to. Um, and when people talk about pressure testing, they, I think often will assume uh, that it's pressure testing is just, okay, fight, fighter one, fighter two, go. And it's a hundred percent intensity, just blast each other. And real sport fighters, can do that, but they only do it to a limited amount of their training. They don't do that all the time because it's too hard on the body. And of course, with sport fighters, their target zones are often limited. They're wearing equipment to make the, uh, the damage, to mitigate the damage to each other, you know, whether it's headgear or padded gloves or, or padding on the body, that sort of thing. You don't want to train so hard that you're getting injured. Um, and so I think at least my experience with pressure testing, and maybe you've had something similar, I don't know, but you get to that point where you realize the technical stuff works. This does function well. And in fact, if you're not dealing with rules, you can use things like forearm strikes and whatnot. You can hit some pretty vulnerable targets very easily, the clavicle, the side of the neck, things that you, it's hard to simulate that without really causing pain or injury to your to your training partner. So, um, you know, to me, that's the nature of that pressure testing and, and how to take this to the mat and increase that level of intensity to be convinced that your technical side, the fundamentals are correct, that you're doing this properly and you can execute them when you're under some stress. Because when you tell Uke, hey, step it up a little bit, like give me some heat, you can feel the stress level going, especially when you give them the freedom to attack you however they want to. Uh, and I think those are good things to do in training. We get a little pause there. Yep. So I think those are good things to do in training. I think we may have had a little pause glitch. Absolutely. I th and uh, if you take for first and foremost, Uke needs to know how to strike and he needs mm -hmm. to strike whether he's doing it um, 
hard or not, you know, he needs to know how to throw uh, sharp attacks, whether it's Sean Manucci, Yoko Manucci, none of this big, wide, slow stuff. Like if you're doing a Yoko Manucci, you know, it has to be small angles and, and done right. correctly. You know, let's let's amp up the, the striking a little bit so that we can we can um, mm -hmm. expect more from Ukis. Mm -hmm. And I don't want Uke to be uh, falling without me throwing him. You know, mm -hmm. so I want Uke to 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 deliver honest attacks and do honest Ukemi. So mm -hmm. if if we're doing, let's say, Randori and we're doing like very intense Randori, uh, what, what happens is when when they attack you, when they attack you uh, intensively and, they, and we do that over, you know, a certain amount of time, like you become your physical body becomes tired. And th that's when your 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 mind kicks in and your heart. And you're training, how do you respond to uh, stress and attacks when you're really, really tired, physically tired and drained, but you just keep going, you keep going and you train your mind and your body will follow, but you train your mind to adapt to those situations. Now we can talk about training realistic self-defense and Uke is attacking, he's attacking, you know, realistically and honest and, uh, and you're just moving, you know, don't be stuck in the middle, keep moving. Uh, you know, deflect the attacks. If you can't do a technique, at least get the hell out of the way and uh, perform your techniques. From there on, I think sky's the limit. If you if you can, you know, you know, of, of let's say maybe okay. From here, I can do another ski. From here, I get this guy's back. I can. I can chop him in the side here. I don't remember the, the, the pressure point, what it's called. But it's a nice one right here. You can throw him in in a tight clinch and throw a little, little strike here. I think that's here. the greater auricular nerve, the one that's yeah, on the one. Yeah. yeah, that one. Yep, that's like it is a like, big area. Yep. The one that feels like you get electrical shock down to your feet. Yes, that's the one. Yeah. Love that one. Yeah, so it's, it's, it all depends on the training. Like It's just like yeah. you said. like you can, you can do a lot of those techniques, but you have mm -hmm. to train uh, – to perform it under stress. Exactly. As that. You know, I, and I think one other thing too, is people talk about, you know, hard training or, or the quote unquote hard Aikido. There does, in order to get that from your UK, the total committed attack that has to be crisp and sharp and deep, like to, going for penetration, there has to be a level of trust that UK knows that Nage is not just going to be a sadistic bastard and hurt him. And because if you do that, if Nage, gives uke a hard time your ukes will no longer give you committed attacks because they will be a fright frightened now so that there is a relationship there the uke and nage a level of trust like i'll commit my attack to you fully but just don't hurt me or i'm not going to keep doing this um yeah don't you know, hurt your training partners even right, though we exactly that's like where the high level of control goes and that's that's what mastery really is is that high yep. level of, of control you know you can put more on it in fact, I think, um, and I wanted to bridge a little bit into, you know, when you're in training, you'll get a little bit of that excitement. And what I often watch for, because I'm very fascinated, kind of in this phase now of, of the full understanding of breathing. When you're in a low stress environment, it's pretty easy to control your breath, to, to time your breath with your movement. But when you start getting anxious and start the stress level starts to go up, one of the first things that happens is the breathing starts to go very shallow. People don't fully breathe, which means they can't, they can't match their breathing with their body movement. 
which means the fundamentals of your movement are going to start to go downhill very, very fast. So I think one of the ways to kind of cheat it is for Uke to keep being slow, telegraph really well so that Nage can sit very comfortably in their little comfort zone and they can basically make Nage look good. Um, to me, I want to make sure my breathing doesn't go out the window when I start getting under stress because I want to, then I want to train under stress enough that I'm comfortable there. Like I don't want to be taken off. I don't want to, I don't want to have my kazoosh or my balance taken because I'm too nervous or I haven't trained myself for, you know, a high stress situation. Um, and I think that's part of, part of that adopting self-defense training in there to have that bit of anxiety, the stress inoculation work because without it, your breathing is not going to work. And with your breathing doesn't work, what technique works? Very little. Oops. I think you're muted. There you go. Hold up. There. Now we got you. All right. Sorry about that. No worries. Um, what you're explaining there is basically what I find uh, one of the most interesting parts about Aikido, which is basically training your sensor. And mm -hmm. um, we can all do Qigong and do a nice uh, hippie movement every once in a while. But really, I, I want to see that. Um, I want to see that that philosophy be put in use in all aspects of life, whether it's mm -hmm. in self-defense or it's dealing with, uh, you know, trials and tribulations of life in general. You know, you, you really need to make your Aikido work. Work in all parts. Sorry, do you hear me swear now? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there's right. a little bit of a glitch there. Sorry. Um, someone keeps calling me. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> That's all right. Being a popular guy. Yeah. Um, so really it's, it's that, that's what makes Aikido uh, interesting because you want to train your center and you want to be as motion as possible during stress. And it doesn't matter how much, how many techniques, you know, if you, if you tense up in a situation and you freeze or you become overly nervous or you overthink a situation or anything of that nature, then you're, it's gonna be hard to do any technique. So you really wanna train that calmness um, and stability and center in Aikido. And from there on, I think you can bring any technique into the picture, but first and foremost, that's, that's one of the great things that I find uh, that I search for in Aikido that, I, that you, know, you can never train enough of. And you can bring that aspect into any part of your life. You know. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, in fact, the best technique, the most reliable one, if you're, if you're a nervous wreck, uh, you won't be able to execute it. I mean, so, and the technique itself won't make any difference. Uh, you know, how good it would be in theory. Um, I remember a story, and of course, this was not a, a true story, but like, a you know, an anecdote or a, not a, a, a parable uh, that I was told when I started Aikido about basically mindset, where this, this guy's having a stressful life. So he goes off to a mountaintop and for two or three years, he meditates and he's in the forest and he's all calm and he's relaxed and chill. And he finally gets, finds his center and he comes back down into the city and he sees all the horns honking and the traffic and the stress level. And he just has a heart attack and he feels over. To me, that is how I often view those who take a, a, a such a meditative route with trying to find their peace 
that they that they isolate themselves from any stress and they're they're successful in, in being peaceful and, and tranquil as long as their world is not disturbed by anything but the nature of violence is that it will come and disturb you it will intrude upon your tranquility it will find you at at the times when you're weak when you're when you are not in a in a place where you're ready to deal with conflict it will surprise you um, it will threaten things that are very, very dear to you, which can cause a severe emotional reaction. To me, these are why the, why the stress inoculation exercises and drills are so important because all of that stuff is going to lay siege to you when you need to perform. And, um, you know, as much as I admire, I, I do think technical practice with a focus on precision has its place in training but that can't be 100% of, of your training because technical execution is only a small part of the whole overall picture of surviving a violent encounter. You know, strategy and mindset are everything. It is everything, really. Yeah. No matter what you do, what line of work you do or where you're, mm -hmm. you know, uh, where you live or whatever, because that's just the primitive nature of, of humans. And they, right. they do attack the weak or they do attack the, the vulnerable uh, mm -hmm. sooner or later. And I hear a lot of people, they say, well, I avoid conflict and uh, I never get into trouble. And it's good for you. You know, you can right. go to your, your nine to five job. You live in a nice neighborhood. Well, you know, chances are that someday, you know, something might appear or occur or test you uh, or your your family or your children and do you really want to be helpless in a situation like that? Or do you want to be able to, to defend what's, uh, what's right and what's good and your family? Family and loved family and whoever's uh, in need of help, really. Right. And yeah, will, will you be ready? In fact, I think, you know, for those people that have a, some level of stress within their lives, you know, they start to get used to it to a certain degree and they, they have a better chance of performing than somebody who basically lives an isolated life that's very, very peaceful and tranquil. That person, when they run across some stress, it's a much bigger deal because they're just not prepared for it. And I think the safer your life is, the more you need to address and have that certain amount of stress. You know, I remember hearing after World War II when a lot of soldiers came home they were used to high levels of stress on a daily basis. And that's where they actually got into uh, motorcycle riding because at the time it was, you know, pretty, it was like an adrenaline sport where they race them up and down hills and crash them and things like that, just to keep that, that edge that they felt that they had in those normally stressful environments. Um, that's of course where the biker culture originated after, you know, when they were viewed as they would get into fights and things like that, which, you know, soldiers tend to do. Um, and now we've got, we've gone into the adrenaline age where, and I've, you know, read that, that a lot of psychologists will say that <clears throat> there's a part of human behavior that needs a certain amount of that fighting for survival, fighting for, you know, that the, the excitement of the hunt. I mean, a, you know, primitive man hunting down a deer, he was hunting for his dinner. That was an exciting, you know, if you fail, you could starve to death. So there was that level of, a, of stress with it. And that, you know, our modern society has kind of gotten soft and spoiled enough where people will seek these things out by 
doing bungee jumping or um, what do they call it, uh, skydiving, all kinds of these extreme sports to get a, a bit of flavor of that stress and of that adrenaline and, and the things that go along with it. Um, you know, obviously doing martial art training in an, an adrenalized zone is, you got to be careful with it, but it's, I think that stress is so important to have in there because you're going to have stress period. Um, you know, when, when, when called upon, especially when, you know, you may be late at night, uh, you're in an unfamiliar territory or somebody's in your house. I mean, anybody that, that has lived in a house and heard an unusual sound that they think may be an intruder, you know, what happens to your own body. You know, you get, you suddenly all the switches turn on and now you're alert and, you know, maybe your adrenaline starts to, starts to come in. Uh, you're nervous. You don't know what's, what's going on, what could happen. You know, it's, uh, that's the zone to, to, to train for. Exactly. And um, I think uh, in today's society, they've kind of like engineered people to uh, have, uh, you know, become stressed if somebody offends them with a statement or offends their feelings, you know, and I, mm -hmm. it just feels like there's a lot of those people in Aikido. So, <laughs> so. Well, that's the thing, you know, it's, and if, I think if we can identify the behavior and the people when they understand or they see kind of the dangers of indulging in that can choose to walk away from it and say, all right, there's a better way. I want to, I want to be the calm person. I don't want to be the one that gets offended or starts, you know, getting into arguments or starts screaming or name calling or carrying on. Um, what I've found is generally the most competent people, they don't, they don't let their blood pressure start rising when a discussion starts going on or there, or a disagreement or a debate or anything like that. They know that it's, Hey, this is just talk is talk. That's all it is. That's all it means. And if anything in our internet world today, talk is cheap. That, that phrase never rang more true. Um, you know, anybody can talk, anybody can type doesn't mean that it's, that it's valid. Uh, but really studying the concepts and principles to me is, where you sort out the, uh, the truth from the nonsense. And there's a lot of nonsense, so you can take some time. Yeah, there's a lot of nonsense. And, and the martial arts is supposed to like uh, make you more uh, focused on, on, on core values in life. You wanna be mm -hmm. more focused on integrity and honesty mm -hmm. and courage and loyalty. And you don't want to be, uh, you don't wanna be carried away or uh, having your feelings manipulated or you know, having other people have control over you through your emotions, like you're supposed to like, mm -hmm. you know, go away from from that type of uh, ego, you know, where you can be easily controlled just by your emotions. But right. uh, yeah, so absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And you know, I, I had a thought because back when the first UFC hit, there was a lot of I don't know what you call myths and misunderstandings and even just outright bullshit in the martial arts. And when people could suddenly see fighting and granted, this was a sport fighting realm, there's there suddenly became a shift. There was much more awareness of people who were not sport fighters or martial artists that understood a bit more about how fighting tends to work. And granted, they only saw one aspect of martial arts, which was sport fighting. But 
the awareness built. And yeah, there was some not so good things with that happened with it. A lot of ego-based uh, attitudes that are still around today. But generally today, I think the average person has got a little bit more exposure to what martial arts are from a practical side than they did back in the 70s and early 80s. Um, I think the next threshold that we're going to cross, and hopefully conversations like this are going to help with it, is the awareness that sport fighting is not the be-all, end-all. It is one uh, aspect of, of violence. It's a respectable one. People, the athletes that do it are, are definitely command respect and, and earn it. But that's a whole different realm than, than real-world civilian violence, and it's a whole different realm than military or battlefield violence. They're not synonymous. There's some crossover you know, with things like techniques that work really well, um, but there's realms that, that the things that don't cross over from one field to the other. If we can start to cross that threshold so there's a greater level of understanding, I think it will help a great deal. And you know, the, the only downside really is that unlike all the sport fighting, which had tons of video footage, tons and tons, there's not as much video footage of real life violent encounters. Now, because of more closed circuit TV and uh, cell phone cameras, there's some, but that, that realm is so wide and varied that it's tough, I think, to penetrate through that. And that's why I like talking with people like you that have that real world experience uh, can illuminate the differences, like what makes a civilian martial art training different than sport martial art training because it is it is quite a bit different even with the crossover what do you think of that it, it is very different obviously mm -hmm. if you're a fit, fit fighter and uh you know you've been into a scuffle out in the streets once or twice you understand mm -hmm. that aspect as well but it's completely different because mm -hmm. it's uh a situation that might appear you might not be ready or well you might be out walking late night going to the atm or whatever and something might come up a guy might be trying to be you friendly and else they got weapons you know it's it's it might be dark. You might not see their hands at all times. Their hands might be go behind their back or in their in their hoodie. And you know, um, it's all all different uh, type of aspects that you have to be uh, that you have to consider. So uh, yeah, and what what re what's really gonna save you or help you out of those situations is your is your is your you know your heart, your training, your experience, and if you can carry yourself in those situations, it's it's not the martial art that's going to save you. Right, it's yourself and and your training and your experience and and all of that. You know, there's one as we talk about this, I'm really glad we, we tripped into this into this particular side of the topic because the experiences that that I've had and, and heard about from other victims of violence or ones that have been exposed to it are there's a layer that goes on and. I think you could call that the awareness and perception layer, not just the, you know, can I detect a threat before, before anything happens, but from the time you detect that, that potential threat to the time that it, a situation goes physical, there's, there's a gap in there. And in that gap is your analysis of the situation, your decision to choose what, how, what strategy and what tactics you're going to use to try to avert it. Uh, 
then you studied, is this working? Can I get away from this situation? Oh, I can't. You, you, you go through this mental uh, stratagem of phase where you're doing your best to avoid the violence and try to maybe tr uh, find alternative ways out. And the violence happens when those efforts don't work or you are not successful with them, which happens quite a bit. It's not like you can just arbitrarily choose not to be in a violent encounter. Uh, you can sometimes, but sometimes it comes and finds you. But that's, that's that phase that a sport fighter never needs to deal with. He never has to break down, where am I? Where are the exits? You know, am I dealing, who am I dealing with as, a, as an opponent? What is their skill base? You know, do they have friends or are their friends right around the corner and I don't know it? If I do get out of here, you know, where can I go? All these things happen, you know, is my family with me? Um, that mental layer or that, that phase in there, I think is an important one. And it's, it's also one I found that's difficult to simulate, like where are the hands? I mean, you could have to have costume changes to sort of show, all right, what, are you, what is, how, how are you going to read a situation by the person that's just walked up to me? Uh, and when we're in the same outfits all the time, you know, usually a gi or something like that, it's hard to start simulating all the little uh, indicators that you look at to read what is this, what's about to happen? You know, what am I faced with? Um, and, you know, oftentimes that phase can last from 10 seconds, maybe to a minute or two, but it's definitely there. And if you don't pay any attention in that phase, by the time it goes physical, it's a grab bag, what could happen. Um, but trying to get that assessment, I think is important. Yeah. And like we're training in, in geese and we all look the same, but Really, when you're doing a lot of the katas and the forms in Aikido, you're also training on how to read uh, the attention from your from your uke. And you really bring that into real life because when you're standing there and uh, you have to be as calm as possible, you see one guy maybe approaching, uh, you're trying to read his intention, like he might have a little smirk, he's very calm, he's very, you know, he's not saying a lot, but you can feel something is odd. There's a lot of adrenaline in the air and through your training, like your body's like, and your mind and your whole is uh, adapting to this. Situation, uh, attack this guy now that I'm going to have to deal with those guys in, in a moment. So, and then you just, you know, based off of your training and your experience, that's, that's how you start thinking. And there's not a lot of emotions in the thinking. You might put some aggression into the attacks to, uh, you know, be as efficient as possible, but you're really trying to stay as calm as possible. And um, what's really good with uh, Aikido also is when you train Rondor is you, you, you try to always move and never be, never leave your back vulnerable. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's, that's sometimes when you're training sparring with just one guy, then you tend to forget sometimes that, you know, uh, there's always a possibility for someone to run up behind you. And I know several people who, who's, you know, fallen into that situation where somebody comes from behind with a bottle and just clocks it right. in the back of the head. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you might go unconscious and, uh, you know, or you might get, you know, severe head injuries. So there's a lot of good aspects of Aikido to, to, to take into those situations. But mm -hmm. you have to be, you know, you have to have good instructors that knows what they're talking about and knows how to put these types of 
the, these ways of thinking into real life. Mm -hmm. uh, if we're just jumping around and we're just doing a little bit of ha 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 and uh, nice philosophy and uh, love and compassion and all of that, like it's very idealistic that we're going to love everyone, but the world doesn't work that way. So you need to, if you don't understand that, then you're, you're going to put yourself in a very, very bad situation if you end up having to defend yourself or use your Aikido. And suddenly you have a revelation. Oh, I couldn't do my Aikido techniques because of this or that. No, it's your own fault. You need to take mm -hmm. responsibility of your training. Uh, have you understood how to do an Ikkyo-Ura on someone who's not doing Ukimi for you? He's not going to do that movement. For you, you have on the ground, he's going to try and roll over. You have to control him. He's going to try and grab your nuts, whatever. You might also, you know, it's the ground. It's slippery or it might be rocks. You might even get a rock in his hand and, and throw it at you. Like, these are all the different aspects that's completely different from the dojo. So whether you're doing, like, uh, sports fighting or you're in, you know, TMA or you're in the dojo and you're doing katas or forms and whatever, like, you have to understand what you're doing. and and how do you use this in real life? I'm not saying that you should always think like, oh, how, how am I going to use this for fighting? But there is a Budo aspect of it. Like we're training a martial art. Like it's a Budo aspect of it. We're training compassion and we're doing respectful, uh, you know, taking care of our ukes and we're taking care of each other. We're helping each other. But at the same time, there's a martial aspect of it. And this is what we need to like, uh, I think amp up a little bit in certain places around the world because it's gone a little bit away from that in Aikido and it's gone a little bit too much of this sprinkling uh, love on each other stuff where, uh, you know, it's a little bit of a Hadouken and people go flying and it's just like, um, this is, uh, this is mumbo jumbo. Well, you make great points. And I think one of the things that I know some of the, the, uh, the more peaceful practitioners uh, tend to tend to I think get a little riled about is the idea that well now you're changing into a mindset of destroying your opponent and I think that that's a false perception really and this goes back to any bouncer any security person you're there to just control and end violence that's it you're just going to put a stop to it not because you're destroying or killing or hurting somebody but because you're taking away their ability to do harm and that's that to me is the control level. That's why it's such a good fit for civilian use is you're not there to, to cause injury and harm. That's not your overall goal. Whereas perhaps on a military, on a battlefield, it would be, uh, you know, easiest way to, to not have any violence is to just kill the other person. Uh, but we can't do that. And we shouldn't do that. That's not, that doesn't fit. Um, and one other point I wanted to actually jump back to a little bit was, was being okay. And, and, what I've noticed in training, it's easy when you're okay to just think, I'm just going to throw this attack. You, you kind of shut off your intent on the inside. Back when I was competing full contact, it doesn't take that long to start to learn to read somebody when they go to make that decision to attack you. But you have to have a training partner that shows you that. If you're a good okay, and you don't have to do it all the time, but, but there are times in training where you need to show Nage you're, you don't have intent. You're trying to find when you want to do that attack and you make the decision and then you execute. A, a, an ex, a, a Nage who's starting to get experienced should learn how to read that intent. 
And that should be part of training because that is, like you said earlier, a very real thing. When you get somebody who's agitated, who's starting to get aggressive, maybe they're being verbally belligerent, you can read they're not ready yet and something happens. If you watch their eyes, you can see that decision go from, I'm just talking some shit right now to, all right, I'm done talking and now it's time to go. And to me, that's where that uh, 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 send no send timing comes in. When you can read that, only when you can read that, can you get that intercepting timing to preemptively attack before they get their physical attack expressed. That's, that's kind of a hard concept, I think, for anybody who's not experienced it, to read when somebody goes from nothing to it's go time. And you can, inter you can read it well enough to intercept. Yeah. Uh, that's, and learning from that, um, you know, I'd love so to say start, start your reply again. I think we had a little bit of a freeze there. All right. Um, I mean, excellent points. And that, that type of understanding is, is golden in self-defense. That's eventually, you know, that's golden in self-defense. If you can preemptively uh, understand someone is about to attack and then you attack first, or you control the person before he manages to get that swing or don't let him get too close for that headbutt. I saw your video about that headbutt, for example. Sure. Good video. How do you defend against the headbutt? Mm -hmm. You know, um, you know, so uh, you can get that learning and understanding from the dojo as well. And I'd love to mm -hmm. say I never made any mistakes. Like mm -hmm. I've always been well, like we all? <laughs> everything. And, but I haven't like, and I also like in certain situations where I've looked away, I gotten maybe a little bit too comfortable mm -hmm. and I've looked away and, or the other guy looked away. He does this thing here. He looks at his buddies and then you go, bam. Yep. And then you eat that and then, yep. you know, time to move. That's a classic. So, um, yeah. That's a classic um, misdirection. You know, and. And if, if people, you know, if you get into a situation where you're holding someone and he's holding you like that and your faces are really close, so sometimes they just put their heads into you like that. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, bam, or he goes up right. and, you know, down and yeah. up with the headbutt, you know. Mm -hmm. So idealistically, you don't want to receive those sucker punches. Right. But it does happen. And if you never got one of those before and it certainly mm -hmm. and it suddenly happens, you, <laughs> you might get into a little bit of a state of a shock. Yep. You know, uh, you might be a little bit rocked, but it's, you know, yeah, it's I healthy that. to get, you know, go ahead. Sorry. I, I was just about to say it's healthy to get. I'm sure, you know, I Oop, you paused again. You said uh, it, it's healthy to go ahead and finish up. It's healthy or, to, <laughs> it's healthy to know how it feels to receive a punch. Basically, and yes. when you did full contact, you have you understand what it feels like to yep. to uh, to you know to take a punch and roll with the punch, mm -hmm. and it doesn't really put you in shock and it doesn't yep. make you freeze or anything like right. that. Like you're used uh, to the white flash that happens, and you're not going to let it just totally freeze you. Yeah, you regain your balance, and from there, mm -hmm. you know. Um, yep. So, but if you never received a punch before, and you suddenly get someone hit you with something, then uh mm -hmm. you might be in a very bad situation unless mm -hmm. there's something built inside of you that just goes boom but it's you need to train for reality basically right 
you know, it's funny. I, I remember that that headbutt thing, and and some I've, I've gotten a number of comments privately about about that because it was when we were I visited with Lenny and, and Corky down there, and really what I was going for, I wanted to see if Corky perceived that he was in a, a bad position because what I found with with competitors and people who are sharp, like they've had experience with violence, they just know when they are in a precarious position. And I wanted to see, cause you know, Corky's got a lot of experience or so he will always tell you. Um, I wanted to see, does he, did he respond? Did he know that he was basically in the, the jaws of a lion there? And when I walked up to him and I said, do you feel a threat, right? Do you feel any threat right now? Not only did he, he kind of freeze, but I could tell by his body language that he had no idea that he was like three microseconds from getting blasted in the, in the face. And that, cause I was kind of curious about, you know, what his level of experience was and, and, you know, how that played out on a mat. It's one thing to listen to what somebody talks about. It's another thing to see it. And I love that the mat never lies. There's the, the mat is where the truth is. And, um, you know, and I, and I think that there's quite a few people that in the martial arts across the board, but in Aikido quite a bit too, that they are s such in the technical realm that they, they really have no, none of the Budo aspect to them. Like they, they wouldn't feel danger if it walked up and sat in their lap. Um, and, and that's, I think, part of, part of the issue. And it's something that, you know, having faced it in real life, you can, you can tell if you've got your antenna on. But I've seen people in real life that don't see it either. And by the time violence starts, they're so behind the eight ball, they've already lost. And this, I think, comes from strategy from thousands of years ago that the battle's over before you start, really. Um, and that's why, to me, Aikido is such a heavily strategic uh, study as much as it is a technical study. Exactly. I've done the same as you explained with uh, Orky. Mm -hmm. I've done with, um, like, other guys to train Aikido, like... Because they preach this uh, tolerance and compassion and all of that and reading energy, like you're talking mm -hmm. about energy and like, can you read what I'm about to throw right now then? Like, are you, are you capable of reading this situation? Mm -hmm. So what are you going to do here? All right, you might be able to sense that something is coming, but, you know, how do you deal with it? And right. um, I think it's, it's a lot of hypocritical stuff behind that. Like, I don't believe that you can read anything unless you, you know, because anyone can do anything if it, it's, if it's slow motion. Right. I can showcase anything. Mm -hmm. So uh, how do you do it? All right. So I'm here now. All right. I got my guy in front of me, traditional Aikido guy. Let me see you move here. All right. I push. I do a technique then. Mm-hmm. And energy and all that that's essentially what we're training but mm -hmm. you know the understanding of, of energy and movement and, and intention and all of that but we can all read energy if it's slow motion if, and, and if it's non-threatening and if it's mm -hmm. you know non-threatening but how do you make that work uh in an ultimate situation mm -hmm. i think it's a cover-up for i see this with a lot of people they talk about you know how to de-escalate a situation and you can de-escalate a situation in peaceful ways in, in many, many situations. But some situations, it just requires a, a, a um, capability of stopping 
uh, an attacker from continuing their attack. It might be verbal at first and, hey, I want to grab you. Let me buy you a beer. You know, that works in many occasions. But sometimes it just doesn't work. And if you're not trained for that next level, then you shouldn't be talking about that stuff. You shouldn't be talking about self-defense because you can't buy everyone a beer, you mm-hmm. know? Right. And it just doesn't work that way. So if you're not capable of, of doing anything in those situations, then why are mm-hmm. you teaching whatever you call self-defense or sure. martial art? You know, there's a parallel. And one of the things that I've studied is negotiations um, and, and negotiating tactics and strategies and, and approaches. And way back in the, I guess the fifties or something, there's some, there was a book called uh, how to win friends and influence people. And this thing was really popular, super popular book, especially with salespeople and, and, and that sort of profession. But really it's about, you know, I guess hundred or 200 pages about how to just buy somebody a beer, essentially give the people what they want is, is your strategy. The problem with that from a from a violence standpoint or a predatory standpoint is if you start giving things up, the predator just keeps coming back or they keep asking for more. So the idea of just be nice or and the best argument I've seen for the 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 pacifist approach is, for example, uh, you know, don't give any body language that looks confrontational or that looks assertive or looks confident. Kind of play like you're just a, a harmless creature and then the predator will go away that to me is where that that theory just absolutely crumbles is the thing is the wolf doesn't not eat the rabbit because the rabbit is furry and cute that just does not work and the same thing goes for an actual human predator who wants your wallet your watch your wife your car whatever just looking harmless and not looking like you want to get into a confrontation with them if anything, is an invitation for more predation. It's not going to stop them. And I get that the the argument, well, no, you don't go around starting arguments. You don't go around being an asshole because you are actually being part of the problem. And I completely agree with that. But there's a time when you have to set a boundary and say, no, I'm not going to tolerate your predatory behavior. I'm not going to give up the goods just because you want them. And I'm not going to buy a an asshole a beer because I'm just rewarding that behavior. And because if you look at what the asshole is doing, he's saying, shit, I act like this and I get beers bought for me. So guess what's going to happen? You know, Hey, how, how do I get free beers? Here's how I soon to start behaving. So I, I think there's also a kind of a society behavior layer to the issue as well. Not to say that, you know, we need to turn ourselves into, into, you know, vigilantes or, or anything like that. We don't, but it's, there has to be boundaries with anybody you deal with. You have to say, hey, this is what I'll put up with and this is what I won't. And, and be able to enforce the boundary. That's what the training's for if you have to. Um, you know, well I wrote put- a book on bullying years ago and, and what I found in interviewing hundreds of victims of bullying, most bullies, a vast majority of them, when you lay down that boundary and you look like you're going to enforce it, they will usually back off. But if you don't, that's like an invitation for them to keep going. And that's, to me, that's the, that's danger. That's a strategy that's putting you in a bad position. Very well put. I agree with everything. I might have to cut that part out and just highlight it on all my social media. (laughs) Um, But um, it's exactly what you're saying. It's, and it's something to do with society nowadays where this, this talk of tolerance is, 
an, an acceptance of bad behavior and and assholes and uh, predators, really, what we're talking about. And mm-hmm. it's just this ongoing thing in universities and all over the place where people, they really, for me, it looks like they're hiding weakness in the word of tolerance, you know, because like, a, like you said, like a predator will see weakness. He will see a chance. And the more you give up, the more he will go for, for, for more, you know, the more he wants. Right. So, uh, and the more you reward the predator, the more he owns you and the more he will keep, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, going. For and it. not just you, but others. He'll keep on that exactly. behavior and victimize other people. Yeah, there you have it. Like, I've had this, like, I'm not going to talk about it, but certain situations where, like, well, why didn't you just walk away and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, you see this guy. He was out here and he was like preying on on anyone who was around here. Everyone left. You had this old guy over here and you have this guy. They can't leave because they work here. Then you have this guy coming. He's high on amphetamines and he's got already blood on his knuckles and he's looking to, you know, do some whoever's in front of him. He's going to prey on. So why didn't you just walk away? Well, if nobody stopped him, then he, he would just keep going, right. you know, and um you basically have an animal on a rampage. Rewarding society. Mm-hmm. Sorry. You know, back in thing, the day, like, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Back in the day when you stood up for the elderly or you stood up for the weak or you, you didn't tolerate crap behavior, you set boundaries, like that was a Nobel and respectable thing. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, it's just like the more tolerant you are and uh the more you just let whoever do what they want because you allow them to in the name of tolerance the more the the you know the Karl Marx university type of people will just you know love and praise you but at the end of the day let me see these people unlock their doors take off your doors if you don't believe if you believe everyone's full of love and passion you know unscrew your doors take them down and let whoever wants to come in come in you know, you know, really put your philosophies into uh, to real practice. Practice. You know, I, one of the things that I read about from a number of mostly younger people that admitted that they were bullies and that they were violent. Um, I've heard this a number of times and they, they will often say, you know, I, I would victimize people because it was easy. Like I, there was no resistance. I could, I could go and rob them or beat them up or, you know, victimize them. However, and they'll often say until I ran into somebody that stopped me and I had respect for them and they became a role model to me. Like they showed me what it was like to not just be weak, but to be strong. And I wanted to be strong like that because I realized that me just beating up on or victimizing weaker people was my own weakness. So I think that there's also a, a, a tremendous potential for being a positive by setting a boundary and enforcing it and putting a stop to them to their nonsense, perhaps they could find an example in that and you could actually lead them out of it, not by you know, namby-pamby catering to them, but by being strong, but being, I guess, kind. You don't have to you know, beat the crap out of this person because I've, I've heard of bullies that get the crap beat out of them and they go, oh, I guess this is how you get what you want. You just beat the crap out of somebody and they keep doing it. So I think that there's a, there's a, uh, a calmness in the strength that can actually be a very positive role model, even for people that are down the wrong path. 
uh, and it can redeem them. There's a possibility that it that you can draw them out. Now, sometimes it can't work. Sometimes it doesn't work, and they keep go, keep on going, and they just realize, okay, well, I guess well, there's some people I can't go victimize. I'll just go back to you know uh, going after the weak. Um, yeah, but there's there's a lot to it. Absolutely, and you see this type of psychology from kindergarten until grownups at work, where whoever's insecure or they have the body language and they're sending out the vibes that they're 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 vulnerable. You know, mm -hmm. the the bullies they will immediately notice that and start you know feeding off of that. You know, start attacking them, and uh, it's really to do with law of attraction. Um, yeah. So, it uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, I don't have kids, but if I have kids, I, I want them to be, you know, able to, you know, stand up for themselves. I don't care if the teachers, uh, will punish them for standing up for themselves. I don't care about that. Cause if a bully tries to bully a kid, like he has to stand up for himself because sometimes the teachers don't do that. You know, the, the teachers, they can't stop the bullies sometimes, you know, and sometimes they they react to the guy who's defending themselves instead. Right. And that kind of, you know, that's a that's a weird that's a weird thing that's ongoing in society. And, and also with uh, civilian situations, it's like the police will look at the guy defending himself. Even why didn't you just run or lock yourself into that, you know, or run through the walls or whatever? But you know, um, you have to be able to protect yourself and protect your family, and that's better than being, you know, vulnerable for predators and bullies right. from a small child to to a grown up. And I think that goes not only on the personal scale but on the societal scale. It's it's the behavior that you tolerate is the behavior you will get more of, and if you tolerate uh, violence, you're going to get more violence. Um, and, you know, granted, at least I don't know how it is over there, but here in the US, you know, we're always told, well, you know, let law enforcement, let the police handle it. Don't take the law into your own hands, which obviously, you know, no, you shouldn't take the law into your own hands. But on the other hand, you shouldn't stand there and get beat up because there's not a cop there, which, you know, as they say over here, when, when seconds count, cops are, are mere minutes away. Um, and the same thing goes with a parent, like you said, with a child, you know, I, same thing. I'd want to teach any child to be able to be on their own and, and survive rather than have to have an adult with them 24 seven or have somebody else there 24 seven. Um, cause uh, what's the old saying goes, if you, if you turn yourself into a sheep, the wolves will come. And that's, that's just the nature of, of behavior period. Uh, human behavior, you know, animal behavior, you know, if you're prey, the predator will sooner or later arrive. Um, and so I think, I think having the, the strength of the predator, but having the temperance of, of the scholar, the wise man who knows that although he is capable of, of being strong and of dealing with violence does not resort to that as his first uh, option. You know, to me, that's the, what is the, the, um, the gentleman warrior, uh, you know, that, that concept. And, and even Plato talked about having, you know, the balance of having, being the athlete that, that has the, the physical potency with the wisdom 
you know, of, of the scholar, like both of those have to exist for there to be balance. And I think whether it's martial, modern martial arts, which has an imbalance towards, you know, too physical without the spiritual or too spiritual without the physical, um, both of those are imbalanced and something that's out of balance is going to be um, not good. That was a very balanced way of saying it. Um, <laughs> no, that's that's the thing. And that's also what I like about Aikido. It, it, it draws the physical mm -hmm. uh, training simultaneously with uh, the spiritual. Mm -hmm. So uh, I like the spiritual aspect of it as well. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I like the Zen, the Qigong, and I like to work on myself. I try to become, uh, you know, a, a more peaceful person every day. I try to mm -hmm. become a better person. Uh, there's always, you know, things you could have done better, but at least uh, you're working to achieve that the next sure. time. And uh, yeah. Yeah, there's there's one thing of having the physicality and then another thing to want to use it. The You know, to me, the, the, the best example is to have somebody that says, I thinks to themselves, I'm going into a tense situation. I don't want to have to use what I know how to use. I'll try to avoid it. And I think this is true of, you know, any martial artist that's got a high level of skill, whether they're a boxer, MMA fighter, you name it. Like, I, I don't want to have to use that. But if I have to, I know when and I'm going to do it correctly and I'm, it's going to work, um, you know, but I, I don't think avoiding violence by not being capable is a good is a good way to go. Like. Then, then you're just helpless. And you know, the only thing really you can pin your survival on is hoping <laughs> that you don't encounter it. Because if you do, it's going to be game over. And I hope is not a strategy. <laughs> no, it's not. It's like, uh, yeah, well, hope is not a strategy. You know, and you can hope <laughs> for, you can hope the, you know, Yep. for whatever but uh it's just murphy's can, law it is it's just murphy's or law. you can be you know like the like the man who is under stress and he goes off to a mountaintop to live by himself because he just can't handle the stress of dealing with other people and uh you know even then not to say that a predator doesn't find his way to the mountaintop you know, it could be a mountain lion who knows who knows what the predator is so uh, to me that's where you know you, you see somebody who has dealt with the wilderness and when they go out there, they don't wander around like prey. They know that their survival is based on their capabilities and their awareness, their ability to be smart, to plan, to have a good strategy for what they're doing. In fact, you know, if you go out into deep wilderness and you don't have that stuff, you will probably die of exposure or something else pretty quickly. Um, there's not a lot of room for, for error. Uh, out there. And I think violence is the same thing. There's not a lot of room for, for error or mistakes. Um, and not knowing the realm of violence or the language of violence, it's easy to make mistakes. Um, so why do you believe why. that so many Aikido people don't understand what, what violence is? Are they, are they naive or are they rejecting a reality? Because there's a lot of Aikido people who believe you can do a nice kotegaish with the ura and do a nice peaceful throw you know <laughs> well that that's a good question and and I, I i want to avoid having my answer come across like i have a personal problem with with individual practitioners instead i want to spot a behavior and, and the answer to that to me is 
there's been just so much signal loss over the years of instructor to student, instructor to student, all the way down that has gotten Aikido training farther away from the influences of actual real violence. And partially because they, there was not a study of real violence that coincided with the martial art training. And I think that that's an important influence to bring in is to study what real violence is. And granted a study done in the seventies would probably look different than it, than it would be done now. Like what is real violence? What are people encountering? What are the attacks uh, that, that, are going, that are typically used? And they will be different from region to region. They're probably different in Europe than they are, are here, um, which is different from Japan or, or what have you. But I think in order to keep a martial art relevant, like any military technology, it has to study what's going on in current times and adjust to it to make sure that it is useful and practical for what is happening in that era. And I think that Aikido in particular took such a high deal of respect for Osensei that they wanted to preserve exactly what he saw. Because I think he used influences of, of the violence of his time in order to create the art that he studied. And that made total sense. But 50 years later, now Aikido is largely a museum of a, of a martial art that was only relevant when he was alive. And it, as the years and decades went on, it became less and less relevant as uh, things started to evolve. The, the nature of violence uh, evolved a bit. And what happens in another 30 years? How relevant is it going to be? Um, you know, especially when you see uh, a lot of the mod, what I call modern Aikido, I suppose you could call it traditional, but modern Aikido, the large bulk of it basically says, we don't want to have anything to do with violence. We don't want to look at it. We don't want to train it. We don't want to, there's no interest. So it's not going to start to bring that influence back in to keep it relevant. And the sad part is that Osensei talked about Aikido being a living, evolving art, that he was just an infant in terms of developing what the Aikido's potential could be. He wanted to see it keep evolving and growing as time went on. And the sad part is it really didn't. And, and that's one of the things that I, I think it, it should be. And there at least should be a portion of people, not everybody, because if they were getting their, their thing out of Aikido, doing it the way they're doing it, I'm cool with that. But there should be at least a portion of people that want to keep evolving Aikido to, to get it to its potential. And that's why I like talking with you, because I, I feel like you and some of the other people I interview are on that page. We want to see that happen. And, uh, and the cool part is we can now communicate throughout the world about what we find, you know, how, how it works, what, what it works, what violence is like, uh, adjusting for regional differences, all that kind of stuff. So to me, it's, that's one of the reasons I love Aikido so much. And I hate the idea of giving up the name because <laughs> the, the term Aikido brings up such a, you know, such a laughing stock among so many people. Yeah. And, um, uh... You, you touched upon a lot of stuff there. I mean, Moriei Ueshiba was in war and he experienced a lot of different battles. And after that, he wanted to uh, train something more uh, to deal with harmony and to, uh, you know, not destroy your attacker and take care of him instead, if possible. And as soon as you bring out certain messages, um, you talk about harmony, you talk about not hurting your opponent or the attacker. 
people tend to take something that someone has said and just take it to the extreme. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, if you have what the founder uh, made Aikido to be about, and nobody can say what literally what Moriya Ueshiba uh, feels about this or that because he, he has passed away. And, um, you know, so nobody can dictate what a person who is not living today, you know, what they feel or think about anything today. Right. So I don't think people should try and like, well, Moriya Ueshiba said this or he said that. And then they want to like um, defend the way they're training because they have some quote or something that they feel like is, you know, the direction that Aikido should go based off of a couple of quotes. And uh, I, I just think that's wrong. I think that um, he also said 90% of Aikido is up to me. And, and you know, that's striking. So, and uh, like Steven Seagal said uh, on a couple of seminars, he said that uh, 90% of the Aikido people here can't even throw a single ski properly, mm -hmm. you know. And, you know, ski is a punch for people that don't know that. So um, we can go off of quotations and quotes and philosophies and stuff like that, but we just have to like think for ourselves for a moment. You know, a lot right. of people forget that a, a sensei or an instructor might say this or do that, but at the end of the day, we should be individuals and we should think about what we're doing, why we're doing it and how does this work in my life to different situations, you mm -hmm. know? Don't be a sheep. Don't just follow anyone blindly. Uh, question what you're doing. Be open-minded, but for God's sakes, be a little bit critical. Because <laughs> especially nowadays, because there's so much, so much to do with uh, a challenge of finding real information about anything out there because there's so much disinformation and it has always been like that. But in, in today's age, we're not talking about the 60s, the 50s, the 60s, or the 70s. We're living today. So how do you use your Aikido today? And what, what um, like, where do you want Aikido to be in 10, 20, or 30 years from now? You want it to be, because it has a little bit of a bad reputation online, like you said. Mm -hmm. And um, I never heard anyone that I work with say that, you know, uh, Remy, I don't think maybe you should be in this situation because uh, you can't handle the situation or whatever. Like mm -hmm. Aikido is is not a representation of the individuals. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone, people that want to put Aikido in a box and it's, it's not effective or it's not this or that. No, it's up to the individual. How well can you you handle yourself? How well can you perform your itami in a real situation? And you had a full contact, so you know how fast hands go and movements go he's going to strike and then it's going to go back so he's not going to give you that step in and just stand there for you to do your your itami you know you have to be really really quick so it's up to the individual and you know if people can just start thinking like that you know don't don't put yourself like you're not supposed to represent anyone else but yourself mm -hmm. that's true you know <clears throat> when you're talking about a sensei uh yeah the thought occurred to me in that for one thing, he was a veteran. And if you talk to any veteran that has been in a, in a war zone, there is something about them that is different than the average person. And you have to appreciate that they have seen probably the ugliest side 
of human competition um, and, and, as, and even atrocities. Now, I don't know if Osensei actually had been in battle, but he was definitely in a theater which had, which had battle within it. And it could very well be, you know how everybody kind of, they take away their strong points from an, a, a, an extreme experience they had. I wonder if Osensei talking about peace and harmony came from a, a basically a place where he suffered some PTSD. If it's possible that he was so focused on that part because he never wanted to see that again. And he never wanted that aspect to be part of humanity where you had people trying to kill each other in that type of realm. I think that that's plausible. And maybe he was somehow emotionally damaged to a degree where he had that. And, and it also goes to the, the, the testimony that he also had a pretty um, a bad temper. Like he, he was not a tranquil kind of personality. He was, had capability of, of expressing pretty high levels of anger. Maybe that's what he saw in himself that he felt he needed to work on and he he wanted to therefore to pursue the harmony and to pursue the the tranquility and the peace aspect for himself when you try to translate that to somebody who maybe is on the other side of the spectrum they need a bit to understand their assertive side they're very passive they're very you know malleable they're almost that prey aspect if I was coaching somebody, I would want to know which side are you coming from? Do we need to take your edge and tone it down and temper it? Or do we need to introduce you to assertiveness and aggression and a bit of violence so you can find that balance in between? Because if you're weak and passive, you don't need the message that Osensei perhaps wanted for himself, which is calm the edge down, be more tempered, be, you know, more peaceful, because if you take the person that's peaceful and you add more to that, you're going to get somebody who's next to completely useless. So it's kind of understanding the individual subject, looking at people as individuals and what they need for their for their own side. Um, my my instructor actually was he he had a great personality, but he was a bit of an introvert and not very assertive. So what the interesting part I found out was he did ten con techniques really well because that would suited her, his personality get off the line buy time get yourself safe don't intercede my personality was more irimi uh more assertive direct uh, so i took to irimi techniques really well i had to learn how to do tenkan better because it's it's a more patience based uh set of tools and and so i saw those those two sides of the of the of the spectrum the assertive and the passive person, each needing to, to go towards what each other found was their specialty. Um, it helped me grow, you know, as a martial artist. And I use that when I study my students of figuring, all right, where are you at and what do you need to, to get better balance in your abilities, in your personality, uh, in your, your mental aspect of your martial art and, and therefore balance your spirit out more. Um, I don't know, just a guess from what I've what I know of Osensei's history, and I admit I'm not a, a specialist in his his past or who he was, or I think he was a bit of an enigma for everybody. <laughs> it's kind of hard to understand him. Yeah, well, you, you brought up some excellent points there. Uh, I also know several guys that's dealing with uh, PTSD and they find Aikido mm -hmm. to be very, very useful 
And um, it's like uh, people like that, they don't want to like they've 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 fought enough, like they've they've fought before, and what they want is uh, a way to uh, cope with uh, whatever baggage they have from the past. Mm-hmm. So Aikido is a good way of of washing you know negativity off of yourself, mm-hmm. and that's just hard to explain to people that only does physical training that hit the past. Ads and tell someone, um, and that goes with a lot to do with Aikido. It's a lot of it has to do with how do you, how do you like you have to experience it rather than have someone just explain it or see a video on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and if you if you had if you have a lot of fighting experience or you're hot tempered, you want to do more balance, or you know if you're smart enough. Uh, to see yourself, you want to do something that that keeps you more in balance, that keeps you more, you know, on track for your goals and concentration and, and discipline. And um, if you're, you know, so and like you said, like if you haven't really fought a lot and you you've been kind of, you know, uh, passive in, in forms of conflicts and stuff like that, maybe you seek something that's going to bring out maybe another side of yourself. Which is more to do with how do you how do you make yourself adaptable to uh, stressful situations and stuff like that? I met several of those people too. Not necessarily Aikido is going to be their their answer, uh, but uh, I've, I've trained people like that. They come, they're like, yeah, I want to defend myself, and uh, and we amp it up and we throw, we do some some you know some really intense training and stuff like that, and they get a lot, they get a kick out of it. But we all have different motivations. When I started doing Aikido, I thought, you know, I saw some cigar movies and I want to go in and do some arm breaking and stuff like that. Kind of childish motivation. Uh, You don't usually continue with the same motivation as you started with. Mm -hmm. And in the beginning, like when the instructor, he showed techniques, then I bow and I look to the side. Who can I train with? And I just saw everyone just disappearing. Like not a lot of people wanted to train with me. And I wasn't like, I wasn't being hard or anything. Mm-hmm. Or maybe you heard the people I was training with, but it took, it took a little bit of time before I adapted to how do you use the techniques and flow with it and get rid of tenseness in your body, tension, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, utilize Aikido in, in more of a balanced type of uh, mindset rather than I'm just going to boom, smash down and, and get this arm lock. And then you start feeling a little bit of a change inside of yourself. Maybe you start understanding the techniques and, and yourself a little bit more in, in performing the techniques. There's a philosophy behind the, the movements. And then you start going, all right, this is kind of enriching me. This is more exciting than just doing a physical exercise. And uh, that's what keeps you going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think when people see Seagal or they see some of the, and there, there are some instructors in schools that train very hard. They do a lot of break falls. They throw, they throw their ukes pretty hard. My experience is it's not the end of the technique, how hard the end of is that determines effective Aikido. It's how quickly you take control of uke. What you do with them once you have control with them, you can either be gentle or you can pound them. Like that's the variable part. But the, what I always look for 
for a high level practitioner is how quickly they get control and how reliably they do it. When you can see somebody take, take Kazush in, in an instant, like that to me is probably the highest respect that I have. Not so much how sadistic they are with their ukes, but how quickly they can control somebody and then make the choice of what, how they want to get out of it. In fact, I find that the most respectable ones are the ones that take that control swiftly and decisively and then are very gentle, but yet still have control of uke the whole time. And they can usually do it, you know, pretty softly because they that's that's efficiency. When you're not using a high level of athletics, now you're you're able to conserve your energy because you might need to do face, you know, multiple people. You have to conserve your energy. Um, but that's just kind of my observation. But I think that applies to how you take that self-defense aspect into your training onto the mat. Like what are the priorities? It's not just to get slammed around hard, it's to make sure that you're ability to take control of a situation happens in a moment it's reliable you're always on balance you always take balance you you always can stay observing around what else is happening uh it's not about how fancy the moves you are the, the fancy techniques how many fancy techniques you have it's how can you do the ones that you know are reliable and they work every time um and yeah. i mean i like practicing the fancy flowy stuff as much as the next guy but to me, that's a secondary priority. First one is take control right off, right away, um, yeah. and do like, it reliably. Yeah, like you look for the substance in the movements. Like right. How can like how quick like can he take control? Mm -hmm. Is he controlling his uke? Uh, mm -hmm. How much balance does he have in his movements? Mm -hmm. And how effortlessly is he doing it? And um, right. a lot of people that. Like when I've trained people that come from maybe other dojos or whatever, and we're doing some of the techniques that we do in my dojo, they tend to like focus too much on the forms and the techniques. Mm -hmm. And it's, I try to explain like, just, just if we're doing a specific technique, all right, let's do exactly the one we agreed on. Right. Mm -hmm. We can do that. But let's say we're doing a little bit of Jijiwasa and freestyle, mm -hmm. like step away from the forms and just do the principles. Like don't tense mm -hmm. up, keep center. Uh, if you lose one technique, switch to another. Don't be standing there like, oh snap, I for I didn't get my yeah. uh whatever. never quit, never get up, finish it somehow. <laughs> just being a buddy, you know, he's not really trying to hurt you. You're gonna have a hard time doing this in real life. Just just um, train how to go with the flow, breathe correctly. Breathing has a lot to do with staying, staying in the moment. Know how to, you know, learn how to incorporate your breathing into the throwing and into the movement. And this is what makes, you know, gives substance in your Aikido and your movements. I don't get impressed if somebody takes an uke and just smashes him on the a, on a mat. Doesn't impress anyone. Doesn't mean that you're a badass at self-defense or you're a badass at all. You know, it, it might mean that you're taking advantage of a guy letting you throw him uh, in, right. in, you know, so. Um, you know, the biggest difference, too, is does the guy who smashes his uke know about the attack that he's being attacked with beforehand? Because once that happens. Now you're just kind of doing a, a, a big dramatic throw for the sake of the camera. And I think this right. is where we cross into people expecting like Hollywood violence. They want to see a John Wick kind of a entertainment versus 
actually the martial art I admire the most is when you look and you go, what just happened? The, the movement and technique was so small that you didn't even see it. Um, it was so subtle that it really didn't look like anything. Um, now, I've granted from my observation from teaching is that I have to be careful about doing that because students learning, if you don't show them, if the technique is so small, they can't see what just happened, they'll, they won't even know what to go what to go do. So you have to train in a bigger movement to show and point out like, here's how I'm moving. Here's what the movement needs to be. Here's the shift. Here's the step um, so that they don't miss it. But the Aikido that I really like is when it's so small and subtle that it doesn't really get picked up by the eye unless somebody is an expert, like they can see what's what's happening. Because, um, you know, that's how you, in my opinion, how you adapt to speed. And this is perhaps another thing that you take it to the mat with as the speed yeah. increases, the anxiety level increases, you get used to your breathing. But if you move, if you make big movements, you've got to move much faster. Whereas if you make small movements, you can cover the same amount of ground without having to move as fast. So that, that's to me how you balance out having a, an attacker who's faster than you are, is you just have to move less. So, you know, as, as you pursue that up the, up the scale, making your movements tight and small I think is the answer as opposed to being more athletic and making big movements really quick. Yeah. I mean, there's a time for showy demonstrations and there's mm -hmm. a time for, you know, maybe doing some more uh, effective type of techniques. Sure. I think if you're as an Aikidoka, if you're only uh, amused by extremely well falling ukis, then, because uh, I hear this all the time, like, if you're going to do a demonstration, you need like a really, really good uke and blah, blah, blah. And mm -hmm. I do agree to some extent, like he needs to know how to fall, but I'm not that concerned with my uke doing a, a beautiful falling leaf where he's, mm -hmm. you know, throw, those are gorgeous. <laughs> They're pretty. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. But I just want someone that uh, can go with the movements, uh, you know, do uke me, honest uke me. And, um, I'm not really too much for that flashy Aikido, flashy ukemi, big falls type of stuff. And sometimes when I throw in, like, for example, within a movement, like I'm going to, for an entry, for an uh, kaitenage or whatever, I throw in an elbow, for example. I'm just mm -hmm. simulating an elbow, for example. Boom, boom, mm -hmm. uh, on the outside and then throw. And then people go, well, that's not Aikido. Well, um, I hate that phrase. <laughs> I really it's, do. It's really <laughs> annoying. Like, like, yeah. If we're doing like a self-defense type of tech, you know, technique or whatever. Mm -hmm. Or then, uh, you know, uh, learn the, the technique that we're doing. Like nobody's going to end up in a, you know, with this stance and just right. do a perfectly tight tenkan or mm -hmm. just forget about all of that. Use the principles. If you can throw, if it's a self-defense situation, you might even have to headbutt someone, you know, you get into a clinch, mm -hmm. you know, he's locking your arm, maybe you headbutt, you get a, a knee in his crouch, mm -hmm. let's go. And then you, you know, from there and then in Kaitenage or whatever, yeah. just, just learn yeah. to go with the flow. Yeah, <laughs> Atemi is a useful tool. I said 90% or I've heard it 75%, I've heard it 95% or 99%, whatever, but it's a vast majority. I mean, that, that's, those are tools that you can't just overlook. Um, so yeah, important part of it. Uh, and there are ways to do it without hurting your uke either. 
I mean, I love elbows myself and I know you can put a lot of zing on them. And when you train with them, you got to really tone it down or you can, you know, cause some damage. But again, training for control to me is the ultimate goal of any martial artist. You're training to know your tools and know when to back off pressures uh, and, and have a full control, not only of yourself, but of your surroundings and your situation. Like to me, that's the ultimate goal. And, and it's not just smashing things or, or, you know, beating up bouquets or anything like that. It's not about that. So, um, well, I think we'll probably wrap this up. Do you have any final points you'd like to leave the audience with? Um, yeah, no, check out my channel, martial arts one-on-one. Uh, it's been great talking to you and, uh, we could probably go on forever. We, uh, I agree with a lot, you know, you have a Absolutely. lot of good ways of explaining, um, you know, the, the different sides of Aikido and the benefits and the training methods. So great job on that. Thank and, you. Uh, yep. Thank you for having me on. You bet, Remy. It was great having you on. And I will put a link to your website in the, uh, in the show, uh, show notes in the description. So thanks again for, for joining me. It's been a great discussion. was a little bit of a glitch there but i think you said you're put a link up on a, on a description yes i will so. put a link up to your site and uh i was just gonna say wrap it up with thank you for joining me likewise thank you tristan thank you very much for listening and i hope you enjoyed this discussion stay tuned for more episodes i've got some great stuff on the way very soon in the meantime enjoy your training